Amen. Good morning. So, we are in the latter half of Romans. If you're newly joining or you've been away for some time, we are actually in chapter 14. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 14, we're going to do the entire, we're going to go through the entire chapter of Romans 14. I want to preface this first. Before we dive in, I have just a couple thoughts that I want to put out there. One, we're going to go through some really mature things this morning. And when I say mature, I don't mean that it's necessarily deep theology that you have to be, you know, you're, that you're, you have to be smart. You don't, this isn't cerebral. This is for the mature, for those who have had, um, those who are mature and loving. Um, and you'll see what I mean in this text. Paul is commanding us to... Paul is recognizing a reality that is pretty obvious to everyone, but we, we don't always talk about it. And it's the fact that this church... I think if I had to give a title to this sermon this morning, it would be One Church, One Thousand Opinions. There is a lie. I think Satan propagates this lie and he would he would desire nothing more than for us to believe it and that is this church has to be a church where everyone shares the same opinion and if you don't then you need to get out I don't think that's true I know that's not true and we're going to actually because this is such a heavy matter we're actually going to go through the entire chapter and we're going to really take our time because I want you to hear me because I feel like, in a lot of ways, churches face this temptation today for uniformity rather than unity. And there's a difference. And you can actually, I feel like, God draws glory, and we can draw strength in Him when we are a diverse church that's unified. And so in chapter 13, yes, last week, Paul taught us how to live under authority as those who have been set free from sin. And we concluded last week with the truth that, quote-unquote, love is the fulfilling of the law. For those who are in Christ Jesus, living under the law isn't a burden, it's our joy. We don't commit adultery because we love our wives. We don't murder because we love our enemies. We don't steal because we love Christ and we're thankful for what we have. We don't covet because we love God more than the things God gives us. Love sums up the law. We have no problem fulfilling the law because we have love in our hearts. Therefore, we fulfill the law with love. Now we turn to Romans chapter 14. So if you'll open your Bibles, I'm going to go ahead and read from God's Word. If you want to go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're new to our church, we do this every week, not because we believe that this book has some kind of magic in it. We believe that the words that we're reading are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we do this out of reverence. Because we know that when we read these words, it's literally like the voice of God speaking. And so, without any further ado, chapter 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. 
One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and not, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. And since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Verse 7. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let us pray. Lord, give us fresh eyes to read your word so that we may know how to love on the weak in faith. Amen. You can be seated. One church, a thousand opinions. We got them. The lie is that every church is not like that. Every church is a church of people, therefore every church is a church with a lot of opinions. Don't go out there thinking there's some other church where people don't have these issues because where you have people, where you have sinful people, where you have diverse people from different backgrounds, you have people who believe differently about different things. In chapter 14, Paul is teaching us how to love those who exercise their freedom in Christ differently than we do. In this chapter, Paul, if I could break it down and give you two chief commands Paul is giving us, I would, dis- I would kind of distill it into these two things. In matters of opinion, number one, in matters of opinion, we are to give grace to the weak in faith. Number two, 
As those who have been freed from the law, we are never to use our freedom as a hindrance to the weak in faith. Number one. Let's start number one. In matters of opinion, we are to give grace to the weak in faith. Verse one. This is, this is verse one. This is what it says. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. I want to begin this morning with that phrase, weak in faith. And that's tricky because a lot of people are like, well, I thought it wasn't about the, the amount of faith I had. I, mean, I, thought you said, I thought you said it was just us clinging to God. It wasn't, it wasn't degrees of faith. It was just even, what about the mustard seed? Paul says, as for the one who is weak in faith. What does that phrase mean? Well, the first thing that pops out is faith. That means whoever he's talking about here, Paul's talking about a brother and sister. It's weak, but it's faith. Okay, this person's a Christian. The second word to look at is weak. What does it mean to be weak in faith? Well, that word in the Greek means weak or sick or delicate or helpless. I'm going to pick, I think I'm going to play a lot with the word delicate this morning. There are people who are saved, who are Christians, who are worthy to be called brother and sister, who have a delicate faith. Immediately after explaining how to fulfill the law in love, Paul makes a beeline to talking about delicate Christians, which tells me that it says a lot about your maturity as a Christian by the way you handle matters of opinion with newer or weaker Christians. It's incredibly saddening to watch newer, largely ignorant believers get baptized, start attending a church, start on their journey to attain the fullness of Christ, be really excited about learning about God and His Word, and then receive condemnation from church members because they don't dress well. That's called quarreling over opinions. That church hasn't obeyed verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. How a church welcomes and receives delicate Christians is one of the best indications that the church is fulfilling the law in love. Now in this context, the issue isn't about dress, it's about diet, verses 2 and 3. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. It's amazing how things have not changed at all. Now here, of course, they're talking a lot about either food to idols, and a lot of it has cultic background, but we still quarrel over food. I know super healthy eating people who pass judgment on people who eat fried food, and they sometimes think they're better than those people. Not all. And I know people who eat a lot of junk food and they're just Americans and they look at people on diets who drink smoothies and they're like, that's weird. <laughs> that was like me and my wife when we got married. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. <laughs> we haven't changed a bit in a lot of ways. If we can quarrel over food, we can quarrel about anything. Now, I don't think Paul's saying people who only eat vegetables are weak. And I don't think Paul's saying people who eat fried food are weak. I think what Paul's saying is this. If you think that others who don't eat like you do are wrong, you are weaker in faith because you don't understand the freedom that Christ has purchased for them with His own blood. 
They have the freedom to eat as they wish. Now, of course, you run into gluttony, which is, can be very idolatrous and sinful. But I think here he's talking about lifestyle. People judging and condemning brothers and sisters over their lifestyle, which is something very different. I love how verse 3 ends. Paul says, You know that guy who you despise for living differently than you do? God has welcomed him. Meaning, if a holy God has welcomed filthy sinners into His kingdom, you can welcome someone into the church regardless if they send their kids to public school or homeschool. If a holy God has welcomed filthy sinners into His kingdom, you can welcome someone into a church regardless if they support Obamacare or Republican care. If a holy God has welcomed filthy sinners into His kingdom, you can welcome someone into a church regardless if they believe that global warming is real. That's right, we're going there. Y'all didn't think I was going to talk about opinions and not like give out opinions, right? Let's not just slap opinion and just kind of abstractly just kind of throw it in the corner. We got opinions. These are opinions. They have freedom in Christ to believe these things. These are largely, largely non-moral issues and we dare not quarrel over opinions at the expense of clouding and overshadowing the beauty of the gospel to a delicate Christian. Verse 4, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. I think someone at this point, I think the reason he put that one in there is because someone could go, see, we're not supposed to judge people. Don't judge anybody for their their lifestyle at all. That's not what Paul's saying. I think that little part at the end, the Lord is able to make him stand. He's talking about a Christian. In other words, we're talking about judging those who are covered in the blood of Jesus over opinions. We're talking about judging brothers and sisters in Christ over opinions. This isn't like telling an unbeliever that they're going to die in their sins if they don't repent and believe in Jesus. Paul's saying, don't judge a Christian's political party as an indication that they're an unbeliever. Paul's saying, they'll have to account for the way that they parent and the way that they vote but not to you. There is freedom there. You, saw how, you see how I said at the beginning, I prefaced this, but you've got to have some maturity for this. Now, if you want to ask them if they support abortion, if you want to ask them uh, if they support racial equality, those are moral issues that involve people using their freedom to kill or keep other people down. But whether someone believes in one tax reform bill or another, you can give grace and you dare not quarrel or condemn your brother. It takes maturity to know where the freedom is. Verse 5 through 6 says this, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the, other, the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now Paul here is talking about observing holy days and festivals. Pagan and Jewish, a lot of, like for example, a lot of Jewish converts, Jewish Christians, continued to observe holidays such as Pentecost and um, the Day of Atonement, but it had new meaning for them. They just, because they liked the tradition and order, they chose to celebrate those 
holidays. Not in, not in the fact they were saved, but they just chose to. Some did not. But we still quarrel over days today. I'm not going to. I'm really tempted this this morning to take straw polls, but I don't want everybody to leave mad. <laughs> I know very godly couples who don't acknowledge Santa Claus in their home, and their reason's pretty good. They want Christmas to be about Christ. How are you going to argue with that? They don't want it to be about anybody else. But what Paul says to those couples is this. Whatever you do, be fully convinced in your own mind. But don't condemn those who celebrate Santa Claus. Now, if you know a couple that sits down in a tree and opens presents all day on Christmas and doesn't pray to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, open up the Scriptures and give the reason for the season, sit them down and tell them that they've made an idol of their children and or Santa Claus. But every kid that goes around the tree isn't a little idolater. The same with Halloween. We got opinions about Halloween. I know a lot of people don't want their kids rolling around asking for money because that's the devil's holiday. And if they go back far enough and you make you can make a pretty valid argument historically for that. I've heard it done before. And if your conscience cannot bear that practice, be fully convinced in your own mind. And don't. But don't look at every kid on your block as a little devil worshiper just because they have a bag of candy. Now that doesn't mean you can't sit down with a good friend and show them the history of Halloween and maybe take them to a good trunk or treat at church. We'll talk about that. I don't think Paul's prohibiting honest conversation here. I think he's prohibiting hateful conversations. There's a difference. Verses 7 through 12. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Verse 9. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Verse 11, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Love says, the love of Christ, the gospel says, reach down to the delicate Christian and treat them with gentleness and care. Judgment Day says God is watching how you treat delicate Christians. How you speak to the newer Christian. Have you ever met people that they just got a thing that they, you're just like, eh, don't talk to them about that. You ain't going to finish that conversation. There's a lot of us in there like that. And I'm not excluded. I've got some pet peeves. And it's all I can do not to throw them out right now. We are a church of opinions. But how we must tremble and quake at the thought of shutting the door to the kingdom of God in the face of a weaker Christian for the sake of our political and personal opinion. I would tremble at the judgment of God. 
And the fact that you're right isn't the point. You could be right that Congress needs to enact another health care bill. You could be right that our president needs to watch his attitude. That's not the point. What Paul's saying is, from an eternal perspective, from a judgment day perspective, the bottom line is not the accuracy of your fiscal politics. It's the, ins- it's the sincerity of your love for the weaker brother. Now someone could go, but Avi, what if someone is so into that, that they just got an opinion so strong, they think their parenting style is so supreme, their, their politics are so left, their politics are so right, somebody needs to sit them down. We'll do it. Have you earned that trust? Because if you have, we should be a church that's able to tackle those conversations in love. I'm going to say it again. See, see this. Verse 10, don't miss it. Why do you despise your brother is what Paul says. Despise your brother. This passage isn't prohibiting honest conversations. It's prohibiting hateful conversations. People who draw that line of the opinion and say, this is gospel and this is, this, this is the line, buddy. I've met them. We've all met them. When I was little... You know, I had a guy, this isn't even in the sermon, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna tell it. I had a guy make an argument to me in my first church that supporting welfare was unbiblical and anyone who supported it was not a Christian. And he drew out if a man will not eat, if a man will not work, he will not eat. I mean he had something to back it up. And, and, I, and I thought, wouldn't it be better before someone who comes in your church and go, hey, you for welfare or not? If you went, hey, let's talk about the heart of Jesus' message. Get to know a brother. Love that brother. Engage that brother. Be conversant with that brother before you slap governmental fiscal policy and make it gospel in your church. That's not the gospel. I have a very I have a I have an opinion. Your pastor has an opinion on welfare. You've probably never heard me give it. Because I'm talking about what Christ said. Christ doesn't laying down civil authority. He was laying down a law of love. You know, he says, Paul says this, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And I wondered why he said that. And I, and I can't help but think, when I was little, I would get in fights with my brother over our Legos. Because he was stealing them all the time. <laughs> or I wanted to be the good guy, and he needed to be the bad guy, and he doesn't get to wear the cape, you need to be bad guy. And we'd get intense fights over that stuff. I wanted to watch Star Wars, and he wanted to watch Indiana Jones or whatever. I mean, you got some heated stuff. And then dad would come home after I had hit my brother. And suddenly, whatever I was arguing about didn't seem so important. And that's what I think he's getting at. Paul's saying, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. In other words, divine judgment puts a perspective on our opinions. 
and makes us makes us harken back to what's really important. Whatever opinion you have to give, and Paul's not telling you to relinquish your opinions. And in fact, I, I would I would dare I would go so far as to say that's it, that's impossible. Paul's not telling you not to have an opinion. But like my dad said, opinions are like what? They're like butts. Everybody's got one. That might, that's, 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 that's in the football Bible. <laughs> Paul's not telling us not to have opinions. What Paul's saying is, whatever opinion you want to give, give it in such a way that you'll be judged for giving it tomorrow. I, don't, I want us to be an expressive church. I feel like God wants us to be unashamed, but let's not be arrogant in doing it. Number two, as those who have been freed from the law, we are never to use our freedom as a hindrance to the weak in faith. Verses 13 through 15, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now Paul says, I know I can eat pork. I know I'm free to eat whatever I want. It's not unclean. But someone who's convinced that pork is unclean, you're probably not going to change their mind for a while. They're convinced. Be careful with the delicate Christian. Don't put a stumbling block in the way of their faith, even if they are a little weak or misguided. It's your job not to take their slightly legalistic tinge and take a bat to them because you've got freedom in your hand. That's a very powerful verse he uses in 15. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. That's powerful. If you've ever been around someone with a weak conscience... You can absolutely wreak havoc on someone's temper and their state of mind and their heart by violating that conscience. Nowadays, our issue isn't about eating vegetables, it's about drinking alcohol. Yeah, we're going there. Today, I think there are largely four different kinds of adults when it comes to drinking. Those who drink, and adults now, kids. Those who drink, and those who don't drink. Then there are the two extremes. There are those who don't drink, who think that those who do are sinning. And then there are those who drink that think that Christ died so that they could get drunk. We talked about them last week. We learned last week that that last group doesn't understand the freedom of God. Christ died not so that you could remain in your sin, but you could have the power to obey Him. But that third group, those who don't drink and think that others who do are sinning. Sometimes, the ones in that third group used to be in group number four. You ever met somebody who used to be an alcoholic and now they, don't, they can't even look at it? That's called a weak conscience. Have you ever been around somebody who's ever been raised in an alcoholic home? Who's seen abuse? Who's seen alcoholism? 
who has seen utter debauchery, people who may have even been touting Christ. Don't wave your freedom in that face. That person's got a weak conscience. They're delicate. And that's why I wanted to tell you at the beginning, it doesn't mean they're a weak person, it just means they've got a delicate wound there. Others grew up in alcoholic homes. Many of them are subject to abuse. They are perhaps weak in faith, not understanding that Christ's have, Christians have the freedom to drink without drunkenness. They have that freedom. We have that freedom in Christ. If you do drink, and you invite one of these folks that are delicate on salt shakers into your home, and you crack open that wine bottle, please don't. Use your freedom to love people, not to self-indulge everyone around you. You might think these people need to mature a bit. You know, I've heard people go, well, they're a bunch of legalists thinking people aren't drink, get, you know, are sinners. Well, that may be, but don't, don't miss verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. You have the freedom to drink, and you have the freedom not to drink. Puritan Richard Sibbs said this about Christian freedom. I love this. A Christian is the greatest free man in the world. He is free from the wrath of God, free from hell and damnation, free from the curse of the law. But, though he be free in these respects, in regards to love, he is the greatest servant. God didn't purchase, Christ didn't purchase freedom for you so that you could go right back into sin. He purchased freedom so that you could lay down your freedom and recapitulate what Jesus did for you on the cross. Their faith may be weak, but let's not forget, it's still faith. Isn't that what God did coming down, taking flesh, and dying for sinners? What kind of freedom exists that is more free than the freedom that He had before creating the world? and knowing we would sin, and gladly sending His Son, knowing we would screw it up, and redeeming us anyway, of His own free choice, laying down His freedom in order to become a slave. You live in the light of that Gospel. And it's not a, it's not a turn-off switch where you can just leave it at the door. You're living with the label of Christ. People see you. They see what you believe in. Reflect the love of We have righteousness and peace. Paul says we have righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I have opinions. I have my circumstances. I have my hobby horse. But I don't derive my joy from them. Sure as heck don't get joy from whoever I vote for. I have my joy in the Holy Spirit. Verses 18 through 20. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. For God to use me in order to save someone's soul, I have no problem politely disagreeing with someone's opinion. 
I have no problem listening to someone tell me why all natural is the only way to go. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just do this. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't subscribe to that. I'm sorry. Let me, honey, where's the fried chicken? You know, it's, I love how I live. But that's fine. If you have an opinion and I have an opinion, it's okay. I have no problem hearing why someone... You know, I just want to commend the, 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 the Normans for a second. The Normans have people in their house all the time. Okay. If you know the Normans, you ever been in their house? What do they not have? They don't have TV. They don't believe in it. I wish Logan, you were recording this for Logan. I know he would love it. They have their little TV for Jack Clay and his Disney movies, and it's like an ancient TV from like the 1980s. The chess player. <laughs> you know, and when they came over to my house, I remember Jack Clay was like glued to my TV when I had it on. And I just politely turned it off. Now, of course, I don't think they would have been offended if he watched maybe two or three minutes. But I knew that they didn't do TV. So when they got to my house, the TV went off. You know, I'd like to be a purist, parenting purist, and one day say that I'm not going to do TV. But I'm telling you, when fall rolls around and football comes, uh, that TV going to be on. <laughs> do not, for the sake of whole food, destroy the work of God. Do not, for the sake of TV, destroy the work of God. Do not, for the sake of your opinion, destroy the work of God. My prayer is that at Haynes Creek, we would pursue, verse 19, let us pursue what makes peace and for mutual upbuilding. And that's the gospel. My prayer for our church is that as we become increasingly diverse, look around, we're a diverse church. My prayer is that as we become increasingly diverse, God would force us to get along in such a way that we put the first things first and we major in the majors that we can coexist with our differing opinions, not being ashamed of them, but in maturity, espousing them in love for mutual upbuilding. That's my prayer. I want you all to hear me. A lot of churches today become cliques and clubs. A lot of churches today, if you walked in, you can almost tell when you walk in, like, I don't belong. Why does this happen? I think it happens because it was easier, they believed it was easier to simply share opinions than to lovingly unite different opinions around the good news of the gospel. The foundation of this building, well actually we don't have a foundation, we're in a trailer but you know what I mean, if we have a foundation it's Christ, it's not our conservative politics that's a horrible foundation our strength is in our unity not in our uniformity in the last three verses, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself or what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not of faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If you are fully convinced that your personal conviction stems from your faith in the gospel, you're blessed. Hold to your conviction. But if you're just doing something for no other reason for the fact that you've always done it, you're condemned because it's not from faith, it's sin. 
God is more pleased by a church of different opinions, each held together and driven by the same gospel, than He is by a uniform church doing the same thing collectively year after year for no other reason than human tradition. What I'm trying to say to you all this morning is, I believe our diversity can be our strength. Not because it makes us any better, but because it forces us to rally around the one thing that matters. At Haynes Creek, I want us to be a church that has a gospel answer for everything we do. Why do you parent the way you do? Why do you cook the way you do? Why do you vote the way you do? Why do you eat and drink the way you do? Why do you prefer the kind of worship you do? These are questions, each of which can be driven by a cultural answer as well as worship of Christ. We need to make sure what we're doing, we have a reason for the reason we're, we have a reason why we're doing it. I know there. Are, I've, I've, I've sat down in a room with two women, one of one of whom public sent the, her children to homeschool, home home taught her kids because she wanted them because of something that she felt was a gospel issue. She wanted to disciple her kids, and I know there was. A, I've sat down in the very same room with another wife who sent her kids to public school. In her mind, fully convinced for the same reason. Now, if you guys are human, and you are, I know some of you are going, that don't make no sense. And that might indicate where you lean on that. But Paul says they have done well because they're fully convinced in their mind. Every church is full of opinions. Not every church can answer the question, why? So I wanted to conclude... Our country is fixed with the idea that freedom is about me, me, me. The gospel says that freedom is about him, him. You know, I'm a registered Republican. Conservative, pro-family, pro-whatever. I feel like you got to be pro-stuff now. Whatever. But I'm going to tell you there are churches where I feel more at home with a loving, leftward Democrat who loves me like Jesus and reads off the Scriptures than I do sometimes with a registered Republican who I feel like I don't have anything in common with in the Gospel. We need to make sure that the people we love and the people we, we can feel that camaraderie with are the people who share the most important thing first, and that's the love of Christ. So in conclusion, therefore, just like our God who welcomes sinners, we welcome the delicate and the weak. Just like Jesus who willingly abstained from sin and from temptation to save the helpless, we willingly abstain from those things that would be a hindrance to the faith of the weak. And just like Christ who gave Himself up for the delicate, we give our lives for the delicate. In verse 10, Paul says this, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or what are you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Let it be our desire at Haynes Creek, in our families, in our marriages, 
for our brothers and sisters, our weaker, delicate brothers and sisters, to grow tall in the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ so that one day we can prepare them to stand at judgment and be clothed in the precious blood of Christ. That should be priority number one. With an unfading crown of glory bought with the precious blood of Jesus. I want to end with this. Every church will inevitably face a challenge to either be hindered and collapse because of its diversity or to let its diversity point us to the one thing we should be rallying around. We all have that decision. No one walks into Haynes Creek going, you know, I hope there's a bunch of people that agree with, you know, voted Trump. I hope there's, I hope there's a bunch of homeschoolers in here because if there's not, I'm not coming here. I remember those wackos at the old church. We got homeschoolers and public schoolers in here. We got Democrats and Republicans in here. We got pro-Obamacare. Right now, I'm, you know, the, the, how hot it is. I didn't believe in global warming until I moved to Georgia. Now I'm kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> Can we let our diversity point us to Christ? Don't let go of your opinions. Don't, be, don't, 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 don't go under the illusion that you can Paul's not asking us to let hold of your conviction. He's, letting, he's, he's asking you to let hold of any hindrance or stumbling block that you have to the faith of the weak. Let's be a church that rallies around and puts first things first, and that's the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is your church. Alive by your Spirit. And you have made each of us different. Let's not be ashamed of our differences. Let's not be ashamed of the way we were made. Different personalities we have. Different opinions we have. But Lord, let us understand that faith comes before opinion. And we want to let one be informed by the other. Lord Jesus, let us cling to You in faith. Let us believe in Your Gospel. And then let our convictions and our opinions stem from that. Because if they do, then we know that we will espouse them in love. Not quarreling. Not in division. But in unity around the Gospel and by the Spirit. And all these things we ask in Your Son's name. Amen. Christ. Nice.